This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So we're going to talk about BC's youth generation and that generation in debt. Um, One of the cool things that Sands & Associates does is talks to a lot of people, does a lot of studying Mm -hmm. of who are the people they're looking after and how can they look after them uh, the best way possible. So we know that financial challenges hit everybody. There's no boundaries or age limits on these. Sands and Associates uh, does an annual study examining trends and key information about British Columbians facing financial difficulties. So people who respond to the studies are separated into three age range groups or demographics. And for this segment, we're going to talk about the youth generation. Uh, Blair, who who is the youth generation? Because what I think the youth generation is might not be mm-hmm. how you guys perceive it. Yeah, so the, the idea of youth has definitely shifted over, over the ages. You know, from our purposes in the study, um, you know, we identified it as those um, aged 30 and under. So, okay. you know, 18 is not the milestone it once was. People aren't leaving home, you know, at 18, 19 years old like they once were. Okay, right. Um, so, yeah, so we cut it off at 30 because it seemed at that point, you know, most people are out of school. They're starting to, you know, make their way on their own. Um, but what we found is that they're often very crippled, very handcuffed um, by a lot of debt that, that's accumulated either during school or sometimes after school. So how much debt are we talking about here? Well, the good part is compared to the other demographics. So we had, you know, youth and we had, you know, a few other age ranges. Then we had senior citizens. Um, yeah. You know, in general, youth uh, individuals owed less than senior citizens, but they were still very worried about it. So right. the, the majority of folks, you know, about 40% of the study, um, they owed between ten dollars and $25,000. That's a lot of money. It is, especially if you're young, less than, less than 30 years old. And, you know, we're talking, this is excluding any mortgage, excluding a car loan. Um, this is your standard consumer consumer debt, and student loans. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's significant. Consumer debt and, of course, the student loan. Yeah, uh, and, and even beyond, beyond that, Elaine. So, you know, that was 40%, right. but, but a full third, um, you know, they owed more than that. They were between twenty five dollars and $50,000 of debt. So you can imagine, you know, being 28 years old and being $50,000 in debt, that can seem hopeless. And and I want to think that, that most of that in that situation or for that person would be student debt. You would think that, but as we dug into the actual, you know, asking people why did you get into debt and what's contributing to the situation, uh, it was only 14% of people said it was student loans or student lines of credit. Wow. Now, this is self-reported, and I can tell you a lot of young people that come in, it is the student loans that are crippling them, and it's often student loans that's, you know, seizing wages and seizing assets and freezing bank accounts. But when people self-identify, I think it's, you know, something deep within our DNA, we tend to blame ourselves first. Sure. So when we ask people, you know, what was the real reason, you know, why you got into trouble here, uh, 24% of people said they blamed themselves. They said it was overextension of credit. It was financial mismanagement. I got too much credit. I got it too young and I didn't know what to do with it. So, you know, that was the most common response that people said. 
The other thing that comes to mind, too, is if somebody is self-reporting, mm-hmm. it they may be giving you the, the best case scenario or the bottom end of it versus the top end of it, right? Like yeah. you're going to under-report a little bit because of that shame and uncomfortableness mm-hmm. with it. Well, it, it's interesting. And I, and I find, you know, when I speak to, I've got some clients who are doctors and they say, you know, when they ask a patient, for example, you know, how much do you smoke? They know the patient is going to understate it. You know, they're just going to feel embarrassed. They say, you know, usually they're going to double it and they're going to add three to it or something. Right. You know, I find when I ask people about their financial situation, they are so wide open and so self-critical about it uh, that I find it, it's completely different. So oh, I, I think sometimes okay. when I actually go through it, I see, well, no, it's the $50,000 student loan that, that's really getting you here. It's not the $10,000 oh. that, yes, you over you overspent, and I'm sure you feel very bad about it. Okay. Um, but I think psychologically, we tend to really blame ourselves, and we tend to really say it's individual responsibility. I incurred this debt, therefore I must pay it back, but sometimes life happens. Yeah. And again, we're talking, you know, people under under 30 years old. Right. So for the most part, they, they blame themselves. They said they overextended. You know, student loans were also a big factor. But even more than, than student loans, the second most common cause that, um, you know, people under 30 had financial difficulties based on was relationship breakdown. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, going so you've for, bought a place with somebody or even just, just maybe a lease or something? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, anytime, you know, you're going from two incomes to one income, that is a huge financial disruption. You yeah. know, you can imagine, you know, even your first and last month's rent, security deposit, having to buy new furniture. So across all of our demographics, relationship breakdown is usually in the top three causes. And for the youth demographic, again, right behind individual responsibility, it was relationship breakdown and then student loans as a third. So it's not not quite what you would have thought. And we've talked about before on the show in various segments that it's when life happens, that unexpected uh, thing happens mm-hmm. uh, that can throw you for a huge loop and, and get you into that trouble or that problem area and you don't know what to do. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes if you've had time to establish yourself, you know, you're 40, 50 years old, ideally you've been able to save, you know, a bit of an emergency fund when sure. life does happen and your income gets interrupted or some big expense comes you can tap into that emergency fund. If you're under 30 years old, you probably haven't had the time to accumulate assets that are going to get you through. So you're even more financially precarious at that point. Got it. Okay. Um, What are the other uh, sort of when is the period of time or is there a is there a specific time when people go, yikes, I am in trouble now. I need to do something about it. Have you been able to sort of glean information from that, from yeah. your people? Yeah, definitely. So we asked all of those questions. And the reason we do this study, Elaine, is we know debt's a fact of life. You know, almost everybody in BC has some consumer debt these days, but there's so little insight about it. You know, we don't study it much. We don't talk about it. So we wanted to go into depth. So we asked people, you know, how did you know you were having a problem? Mm-hmm. And the top three um, responses from students, you know, first was just, they just saw that they were continually accumulating more debt. So they'd look at their debt one year and they'd make payments all year and they'd look at their debt at the end of the year and it would be either the same or higher. So right. they just weren't getting ahead. Well, especially when you think that you're actually making a dent in it yeah. and, and that's not the case. Right. So it wasn't that they were getting sued. It wasn't that people were carting their furniture away. It's that they looked at their financial situation and said, you know what, I'm really, I'm digging, but I'm not getting any further ahead here. Right. right? And then there's the other sort, sort of more obvious ones when when you start getting those calls. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's nothing that can put fear in 
in someone's mind more quickly than, you know, the first time a collector calls you. And, you know, generally they're not using, you know, the empathetic tones that we understand your situation. Yeah. They're using the, you will be in court. I will have a lawyer at your door. You know, they'll be making all of these kinds of threats. So, you know, the collection calls that usually spurs people to pick up the phone to call us as well. Now we've also included ma- only making minimum payments. And I mm-hmm. think that's a really important, uh, point to raise and just to keep in the back of your mind always is that even though the various uh, credit cards and banking institutions will say your minimum payments is required, let's say it's $18 this month, the key is not to just pay that Mm -hmm. minimum payment because... That's just never good. You're never going to get ahead of it. That's the right word, Elaine. It's the never, never plan. You will never pay off that debt. And that was the third factor that people said was most common for causing them to reach out for help is they look closely at their statements and the credit card companies have to disclose if you only make the minimum payments, how long is it going to take to pay off the debt? You know, quite often I see 40 years, 80 years, 100 years. I saw one this this week, Elaine, 700 years. Oh my gosh. I I couldn't believe it. That's just crazy. The person that sends out that statement like really you you don't scribble that out and say please call us we should make some arrangements here exactly that's what should be written there not 700 years it's going to take you 700 years to pay off so what kinds of things uh specifically this youth generation these 30 somethings uh what do they do to Mm -hmm. to get out of debt what are the what are the sort of the standard places that they go or or paths that they take yeah the the first thing that that people do in the youth demographic is they look again they blame themselves typically and they start to look hard at what's every dollar that's coming in my hands each month and what can I do better with it? So they start to cut expenses mm-hmm. and we dug a bit deeper and it was the things that you would think and you would hope people would start to reduce. So entertainment or dining out, absolutely first to go. So you, sure. know, you eat out a little bit less, eat at home, stay right. in. Um, clothing and you know personal expenses and shopping, second thing to go. Again, what you would think, the more superfluous, less of the, the necessities. Um, the third thing which was concerning was about savings and retirement contributions. Right. Um, so that's something, you know, definitely if you're deep in debt, you want to deal with the debt first before you start to save. But quite often, if you really think long-term, you should be putting some money away in RRSPs almost from your first day of employment. Mm-hmm. You should really be starting that, you know, nest egg, and that's money that's always going to be protected. You're not going to lose your RRSPs no matter what. So I was concerned, you know, if people are in debt, they're cutting all their expenses, but they're also cutting their investment in their own future. Right. And I can, it makes, I can see why people would do that because they see it as something extra to have to pay out. But the fact is, um, well, we've just talked about that so many times about what is, what is protected and retirement contributions and all that stuff Mm -hmm. are so protected. So, uh, just in the last few minutes here, as we talk about this generation, uh, you know, we've talked in the past, each generation has its own kind of challenges. What are the 30 somethings, this youth generation? Up against the most, do you think? Well, I think that the biggest challenge for just about everybody these days is costs continue to go up and up every single year. You know, rent in the last seven, eight years in Vancouver has just went crazy, but wages haven't done so. You know, we're talking about raising the minimum wage, which is long overdue, um, but, you know, the minimum wage is barely a living wage anyway. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a big disconnect often between income and then what it actually costs to live. So, you know, a lot of what what people can do, um, you know, is really to take stock of their financial situation. You know, keep a budget each month, write down your expenditures, look closely at your income, but really step back and look at your debt on a bigger picture. Is this something that you can clear in, you know, three years, four years, something like that? If you're on the never-never plan, you need to get off that because it's going to impact you. If you're making these minimum payments, you know, for 10 years plus and not getting ahead, that's incredibly discouraging. 
And that's where someone like you or, or the Sands and Associates comes into play because that's very difficult to do as a single person, kind of take stock of everything and ask themselves the right questions yeah. and then and then plan accordingly, right? Like that's really challenging to do. Oh, exactly. And, you know, if you try to do that with the wrong professional, you know, if you try to have an honest and honest-to-goodness conversation with a collection agent, you're going to get exactly what's for their interest, not for your interest. So when you go and see a trustee, you get unbiased, independent advice on what's going to help you move forward, regardless of your age in life. I think, too, the other piece that you mentioned about the stagnating wages, uh, it's it's difficult to enter into the workforce unless you've got that education or you've got some that experience or whatever it is and whatever area you're wanting to go into uh, behind you. Mm-hmm. So that's something that folks are up against. I mean, even taking a second job, boy, oh boy, if you're not super qualified or, or well on your way to taking on uh, one job to take on a second one, it's it sounds like the never never plan again, right? Mm-hmm. Like so challenging to get ahead of it all. Yeah, and, and Elaine, just in the last you know few seconds that we have here, you know, we talked in the study about the psychological impacts of death, the physical, the mental. Uh, we got you know some really startling statistics. You know, as much as one in five people um, under the age of thirty who are in debt, they contemplated suicide as a solution to that. So yeah. the purpose of today's segment is to say, you know what, there are a lot of people have these issues, and we can fix every single issue here. There's no need to be despairing to to think there's no hope. Boy, if this is resonating with you at all and you'd like more information, really easy to do. Uh, Sands and Associates, the website, very easy to get to, sands-trustee.com, or you can call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Sit down with Blair and his team and see if this is something uh, that you're going to be able to take on or want to take on, and they're going to give you a hand with it. Thanks, Blair. Thank you. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation to find an office near you. Oh, with us right now, Stephanie Duffy, uh, her website, stephanieduffy.com. She's a life coach, relationship strategist. She lives in the Fraser Valley. She specializes as a life, cho- uh, life coach, helping folks identify and acknowledge the limiting beliefs that keep us from living our full potential. Wow. That's quite, that's quite a description, Steph. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a good one, though. It's a good one. Um, and we're talking, this show's all about money and debt, and, and I know that that's an area that you uh, also help people with, uh, look at the tough events that create the debt or financial challenges. Uh, let's talk about some of those things. What are the sort of, what are the number one things that, that you find with, uh, with the people that you end up talking to? Well, unfortunately, what I'm really noticing um, that's quickly arising um, that's affecting financial strain is unexpected disease or illness. Um, mm. And sometimes I, I wonder what's going on with society because all these diseases and illnesses are suddenly coming up. And of course, people aren't ready for it, right? We don't expect to suddenly have a disease or illness. And so we don't plan for it. Um, and other life events, the end of a relationship, that's, you know, quite common. 
unexpected layoffs or loss of a job, uh, sudden market change. So there can be a, um, a loss of sales for those who are suddenly self-employed. Um, mental health issues, addictions, personal issues. Really, it, it just seems to cover just life in general. The whole gamut of things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, what what jumps out out to me, Stephanie, as well is you know some of some of those those things. You know, obviously they're they're terrible. You would you wouldn't wish them, but you know if you were financially um, solvent at the time and you had an emergency fund, you know maybe to get you through to six months or, or nine months or something like that, which you know generally people recommend. You know you might be able to get it through. But what I see with with my client base and just in in general is people find it so tough to save just any money, let alone three, six, or nine months of expenses to get through these. So when a big life event happens, it can be you know rather catastrophic from a financial point of view sometimes. Oh, exactly. And here's where, you know, times have changed. We're in a generation where, I mean, and maybe this isn't my limiting belief, but people, you know, are paycheck to paycheck and it's both partners working to earn an income, keeping their head above water, right? There's no real um, space for financial strain. It's just the times that we're in. And, and Stephanie, I was wondering, those financial strains, can they create a, a sabotage cycle for your, your future successes? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, financial strain, it can easily traumatize and change a person's view of themselves and their world. You know, so an example is a person going through financial strain. Um, they may now view themselves as being a failure, not good enough to be successful and whatever else you know, their brain decides to create. And so what happens is these beliefs, um, they stay in our subconscious mind and they run our show without us being aware of it. So, you know, an example would be, um, say someone who's been self-employed um, has a financial strain in, in one way or another, decides that they're going to go back um, into self-employment. Their business is starting to become successful and then unconsciously they sabotage it because they have this belief that they're a failure and not deserving of success. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. My question is now, how do you help somebody sort of enter into that discussion and to see those kinds of things? How do you do that? Um, the beautiful thing is we look at our behaviors, right? And um, to me, behaviors tell me or, or give me some lead as to what is really going on, what beliefs they have. So if a person you know, wants to, say, become self-employed and, and reach a certain um, dollar amount, but they're unable to, then I'll just ask them questions. You know, do they feel deserving enough? Do they feel worthy? What would it look like if they were earning X number of dollars? And, you know, quite often um, I'll get people to look at what is their money ceiling? You know, for example, okay, can you picture yourself making $25,000? And, you know, if they say yes, I usually bump it up by $25,000 increments. You know, can you see yourself earning $100,000 in a year? And it's interesting, you know, and this includes myself as well. It's like people suddenly, you know, kind of freeze. And it's like, oh, we have a money ceiling. So what's that about? It's like, so you can make 
X number of dollars, but it's not okay to make X, right? So what's that about? Yeah, it, it seems to, to me, um, Stephanie, you're, you're basically just expanding, you know, the potential that that person can see within themselves. You know, they've, they've limited themselves and said, this is what I can do. And you're showing them, hey, there's, there's a much bigger world out there that you, you can be, you know, successful within. Um, I see just a huge parallel when people come in to see us and they're, you know, been dealing with a debt maybe for two years and every day their interactions have been negative. You know, they've had a collection mm-hmm. person call them, you know, 10 times in a day, speak down to them, be condescending, threaten them mm-hmm. with legal action. You know, after a while, you're just in such a stress mode that as you were describing here the sabotage cycle i was like i I see that you know day to day and so Mm -hmm. much of of our job as trustees and you know just as as people here is trying to help rebuild um, that person's self-confidence so that when they're finished the bankruptcy or a proposal they're going to go out and achieve and be the productive member of society Mm -hmm. definitely and you know just to add on that um, i've had two real good friends who uh, have gone into bankruptcy and I'm amazed to listen to their stories because that was their greatest gift. One who was self-employed, mm-hmm. and it just became such a struggle. And this changed his way because now he's doing something different. Yep. And just the the tools they learned and realizing that they didn't have to keep, you know, beating their head against the wall for so long that there are, you know, are other avenues. And that, um, you know, bankruptcy doesn't have the shame that would have been attached to, you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. At, have you got a couple of key things that you, uh, questions, if someone's listening to this right now and they're, they're, they're sort of hearing themselves be described, um, is there a, are there a couple of things that you would suggest that someone could questions that they could ask themselves to know, yeah, this is what this is what's happening for me. This is what's going on for me. And boy, I'd like to get out of it. Have you got some ideas around that? Well, I always ask people to reflect on their own behavior because our outside world reflects our inside world. So whatever shows up for me and how my behaviors are is my beliefs running that show. So, you know, Speaking about financial aspects, um, that's going to reflect on how I'm feeling about myself for for most part. And I mean, I'm I'm not talking about, um, you know, the financial strain that comes to us from an illness because that's that's something different. Yeah. Um, You know, but I'm talking about like, you know, because of gambling, credit card debt, like just whatever personal issues, maybe we'll call it. Um, you know, do we feel successful or worthy of, you know, having money? What does money mean to us? You know, and here's where when we go back to our childhood, you know, I always ask people, what did your parents say to you or maybe not say to you about money? How was money treated in your household? You know, what, what were the beliefs around people who had money? Got it. And and so really look at that because it's our childhood beliefs that were put upon us that we took to, to own ourselves that are still running our lives. And sometimes, you know, we don't even know what they are. And so it's just reacquainting yourself with what do you believe about money, you know, ab- about being successful, you know, what is successful. Stephanie Duffy's website is www.stephanieduffy.com. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. 
We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're going to take some time right now to talk to uh, uh, a client of Sands & Associates, uh, Blair's Blair's good buddy, Bill. Yeah, so so thank you for joining us today, Bill. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, And Bill, you've been a client of the firm. We were were just discussing that, you know, it was basically two two years from the day you reached out to us until today. And it's been, you know, in in your words, a a bit of an incredible journey, a turnaround here. Um, Definitely, that's the purpose of today is to give you a chance, you know, to share the experience that you've been to with the idea that it's going to help others who might be in a similar situation and are just scared to reach out for help. Wonderful. So I wonder if we could start, Bill, just, you know, open-ended. Could you tell us about the situation, you know, what you were facing when you reached out to us? Sure. Um, a few years uh, prior to my first contact with Sands, I was involved in a, uh, a recreational hockey accident where I was uh, hit from behind by uh, somebody playing ice hockey. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in a lot of trouble, and I had my first spinal cord surgery uh, that night. Wow. And I had my second spinal cord surgery uh, approximately six months later, and I um, just uh, everything kind of downworld spiraled from there. I was never had any problem paying my bills uh, pre- prior to that. I had a fantastic credit score and Beacon score, and uh, as you can imagine, when you uh, have uh, those kind of surgeries and you're off work as long as I was, um, things happen. How old were you at that time, Bill? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> So we're going to go back uh, 45 years old, I guess. Okay, so you were out, I think you were telling me, Friday night recreational hockey game in front of the net, and suddenly your, your whole life changes with a cross-check, right? Yeah, I wish I was in front of the net. If I was in front of the net, it wouldn't have been so bad. I was actually in the corner oh, God. Uh, playing for the puck, and uh, somebody decided they were going to cross-check me from behind head first, and that was it. Bill, how long did it take you uh, before you realized you needed some guidance and some help with this? Uh, how long did it take before you reached out? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Too long. I wish uh, that uh, the answer to that question is I waited almost three years to call Sounds and Associates because I was always that guy that wanted to pay these bills and I was always embarrassed and just wanted to do everything the right way uh, or what I thought was the right way. And uh, as it turns out, I was doing it wrong the entire time. So uh, three years after the accident, I finally was in such a bad place that I called John Manson at Sam's, and uh, the rest is history. Can I ask, Bill, what were the things that you did in those three years that you're probably being way too hard on yourself about, Mm. but what what were the kinds of things that you were doing to sort of stay above water? The paying everything, paying... uh, Paying my bills, paying the interest on those uh, on those uh, credit cards and the debt, um, pawning stuff, mm. um, borrowing money from family and friends. It mm. was uh, it was very tough, and uh, things that uh, that in retrospect I should have never done. Right, but you did the very best you could with what you had at the time, and I I, I hate I don't like hearing somebody be so hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. So eventually, you reached out, and things turned around pretty quickly. Or can you talk about that process? Things changed instantly. I never received one more phone call from anybody I owed money to the moment that I signed the papers with the mm-hmm. with Sands and Associates. Uh, the process was so easy, and I was well informed of uh, what was going to happen. And uh, everything that I was told uh, happened exactly as planned. 
So, Bill, you, you mentioned John in our Surrey office, and you know, definitely John's an excellent in, in terms of client service. Can you tell me a bit about you know your initial contact? You know, because people get very scared of that first meeting. Are they going to walk in to, to feel judged to someone who's going to examine in minute detail all of their their mistakes? Mm-hmm. Can you tell tell us about that initial consultation with John? Well, that's almost like you just described me because I I walked in thinking I was going to be judged or somebody was going to think that all of the debt was entirely my fault. Um, and uh, John was the complete opposite of that. He uh, listened to my story, and he uh, asked the right questions. And uh, in a matter of uh, a few days, uh, the process was in place, and the papers were signed to uh, to get the process started. Right. And, and what did you actually file, Bill? Are you comfortable sharing a bit of the details there? Absolutely. Yeah. I did a proposal. Mm-hmm. So uh, John gave me the differences, uh, told me the differences between a bankruptcy and a proposal, and told me what his suggestions were of what uh, suited me best. And uh, after thinking about it for a day, I, I agreed with him. And um, he told me exactly what was going to happen in the process, uh, how it was going to take place. And I just signed the papers, and the rest was in his hands. And uh, um, exactly as promised, I never received one more phone call, one more letter, one more bill. I never received uh, anything. What was the thing that uh, that surprised you the most about the process, Bill? How easy it was. Mm. I wish I would have done it uh, back in 2012. Uh, to, to think that I waited three years to uh, have that burden released from me and that weight off my shoulders and my back, I was. Uh, I just felt like I was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. Right. And Bill, those words are just echoed with so many of the clients I, I see day after day. You know, we, we take this so personal in, into our own character and we, we judge ourselves about it there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, Bill, you know, from someone, if they're not familiar about a consumer proposal, you know, I explained it in a very you know, technical trustee way, you know, from your perspective, what did the proposal do for you? What was your, your life before? Um, you told us, you know, the, the calls and all that stopped, but, you know, in most cases with the proposal, the debt is significantly reduced and you don't pay the interest. So I'm curious of the arrangement that was able to be worked out. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact numbers. Yep. It's so long ago now, but uh, whatever whatever it was, uh, it was immediately, I felt like every single month all I was paying was interest right. on all of the credit cards and all of the debt. It instantly became one single payment that was completely manageable and was not something that had me worried and keeping me up at night. Um, I knew that the payment, the one single payment, the negotiated uh, payment was going to come out at a certain day of the month. It was paid to SANS, and SANS took care of everything, and it was so easy. Yeah, and, and Bill, I'm, I'm really happy to hear you describe the proposal payment that way. You don't remember how much it was or what you saved, but you remember that it fit into your budget. And that's, you know, very core. When a, when a trustee does a consumer proposal, we have to make sure this is going to fit in the person's budget. They're going to be able to perform it. It's in everyone's best interest here. So, and I find when I sit down with folks, if we add up what they're paying in interest each month, almost every case, the proposal is a lower payment than what they're actually already paying. And the proposal has an end date. You're going to be done this in, you know, three, four, five years at the most. Whereas if you're paying interest, you're probably on the never-never plan. You may never pay it off, right? Exactly. And I can't believe how fast uh, time has gone by so quickly. Uh, We're only a few years into it now. And uh, um, I've only got a couple of years left until I'm completely released of uh, of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, that uh, my, my obligation to, to sense, and then I will be completely whole. But so much has changed in that two years. I'm already in a much better place and much better off than I was uh, the very first day that I, I met John. 
Bill, can you talk about uh, the kind of new habits or attitude that you have that you didn't have before when it comes to your finances? Absolutely. I'm saving money. <laughs> I've got uh, money in the bank, and uh, I've got um, going on vacation uh, next month, going down to Mexico for a week, and uh, that's just uh, would have been unheard of uh, a few short years ago. And it must feel very um, that you're doing things with ease, as opposed to with anxiety now. I'm doing things uh, that I've that uh, within uh, common sense and reason. I'm doing things that I want to do, and I'm still just keeping in mind that I have obligations uh, to uh, to take care of from Sands and by uh, getting my credit back mm-hmm. for the first time in years. Um, my credit score is rising again, and. Uh, if if, uh, if you don't mind, can I entertain you with a, just a quick story about a credit card very quickly? Yeah, Bill, I was actually going to ask you that, that question just as next. So it's, so it's perfect because, you know, when people come in to talk about a proposal and definitely for a bankruptcy, they come to the conclusion before they walk in the door that they'll never get credit again, right. that they're going to be, you know, destroyed on a, on a long-term basis. Um, and, you know, I can tell you what the law says. You know, the law says after you finish your proposal for a couple of years after that, it's still going to show in your credit report. But I know people rebuild their credit far sooner than that. Now, Bill, you haven't finished your proposal yet, but I know you got a good story to tell here. Right. i still got a few years left, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, going to be fantastic. But uh, in my first couple of meetings with John, that was besides the embarrassment and the stigma attached to what I thought I was doing wrong. Um, I was uh, mentioning to John Manson at uh, Sands that I'm worried that I'm never going to get credit ever again. And he told me uh, that he has a few uh, ways that he uh, knows that I can establish my credit again. And within a very short period of time, I had a, a, a secured credit card, mm-hmm. uh, which had a, a manageable uh, balance on it, which uh, I understood was just going to be temporary. And John and I have kept in contact over the last few years. And he mentioned to me, uh, the next step is to, to just pay your bills on time. And in, a, in a, a matter of time, you'll be able to apply for another card. And uh, I guess maybe a month, month and a half ago, it was that I had that circled on my calendar that John told me to uh, make the call and I called up the um, the credit card company and I said I'd like to apply for a credit card and uh, held my breath and uh, a few days later I got a letter in the mail saying that uh, I've been authorized for a another credit card my second one now and it now has a five thousand uh, dollar credit limit so within a very short period of time I've I've gone from owing tens of thousands of dollars to now having a, a non-secured credit card with a $5,000 credit limit that uh, I'm free to use whenever I want. Now, is there, has your attitude or has your uh, how you operate with that credit card, is that different than it was before, Bill? Like, wh- what's the change now? Yeah, no, I'm still very, very careful with my money. I'm just uh, very cognizant of the fact that uh, you never know what's going to happen uh, in life. And I've now, the difference between now and before, I've got a nest egg of some savings in the bank for a rainy day. So I'm, I'm just being very, very careful. And, and it's good to be able to just go out and just spend what I want uh, within reason, right? You've been so honest uh, in this interview, Bill, about the the things that you're so grateful for and appreciative of and, and the, the action that you've taken. Have you got any more words of advice for folks who may be listening and, and really what your story is resonating with them and they're hesitant to do something or to take action? Is there some advice you can give to those people? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to just be very honest. Uh, John Manson, at uh, the Surrey office, uh, literally saved my life. I don't know wow. where I would be 
today if I wouldn't have walked into his office and had that first initial conversation. So um, Sands and Associates uh, did exactly what they told me they were going to do. So my words of advice, if, if there's anybody out there that feels like their life is spiraling, that uh, their debt is out of control, uh, whether it's uh, for their own fault or within, without, uh, uh, in my situation where it was uh, with, uh, not within my uh, ability to pay because of an accident, uh, you owe it to yourself, to your family, to make a quick call, to have a consultation, and just to uh, have an honest opinion of where you're at. And I think you're going to be very, very surprised about uh, where you are. Bill, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to uh, tell us your story. It's so important. Any, you know, there's so many pieces that someone might hear and go, oh boy, that sounds like me, or that sounds like somebody I know that could, could get some help there. So, so appreciate that. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manson from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com. In this segment, we're talking about what happens when you don't have any income. You're in debt, you don't have any income or other resources to help pay your debts. That is how big a segment of the of the folks in debt does that take up? Well, you'd be surprised. So it's, you know, the old adage, you can't get blood from a stone. It's absolutely true. You know, if you've got someone telling you you owe money and you know, honest to goodness, there's no way you can pay that money. You know, many people don't know what the next step is from there. You know, can I be thrown in jail? Am I going to be in the newspaper as a deadbeat? Is someone going to come and take all of my assets? So, you know, we won't say it's a huge segment of the people that come to see us, but definitely a lot of senior citizens, um, you know, this is their situation. They have very few assets, they've got some debt, and they just don't know what the risks are, what they have to be worried about or not worried about. And a really small income or a very limited income each month to pay for whatever, and then the debt on top of that. Yeah, and it's an income, Elaine, that generally isn't going to increase very much. Right. Maybe you're going to get cost of living, you know, a couple percent, but, you know, costs go up every year in the lower mainland. Your accommodations probably go up by more than that. Your food goes up by more than that. So quite often seniors are in a situation where the real income, it's maybe it's being flat or it's even declining a little bit each month. Yeah. Very, very true. So what happens in this, in this case? You can't, uh, you can't take more money from them, but, but how do you give this person a hand? Yeah, so part of it is everyone that comes in, we spend about an hour, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, we do a complete consultation. So we do a review of their entire situation, and we understand exactly what is it that they're facing. Now, the person that we're talking about today is what's called creditor-proof or judgment-proof. And these may be terms that listeners have heard before. And what it means is that even if the person was sued, so even if the creditors decided, you know, get a lawyer, take the person to court, they would get a judgment, but they still couldn't collect on it because the person has nothing. Okay. okay? So creditor proof means that there's essentially either no income or there's minimal income, something like, you know, a pension, um, you know, a retirement benefit or something like that that meets the person's basic needs, but not very much more than that. 
and they've got very few assets. Now, I don't mean they don't have you know, a chair to sit on. The province of BC says no matter what, you're entitled to some very basic levels of assets that every human being is entitled to. Things like your household furniture can never be taken from you. Your clothing obviously can never be taken from you. Even a vehicle worth up to $5,000 can never be taken from you. So we go through and review, you know, essentially the assets or the, the lack of assets, and we come to a picture of whether the person is creditor-proof or judgment-proof or not. Okay. So that would also include, because one thing we didn't mention is if I'm living in, let's say I'm in that category and I'm living in an apartment, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's a fixed rent. Uh, again, that's something that doesn't get uh, anything attached to it. The debtors, the debt can't get attached to that. I've got to be able to live somewhere, right? I mean, that's, that's, right. that's the piece that I think is really important too, that the province protects mm-hmm. us from, from being thrown out on the street. Oh yeah, you've got, you've got to pay your rent each, each month, right? But yeah, there's definitely good protections for, for tenants. Now, what I find too is sometimes people are saying there's just not enough to go around because they're trying to pay their rent and they're also trying to make a bunch of payments on these debts right. where they're actually judgment-proof. They're actually, the person is creditor-proof. And when I explain to them that actually if you stop paying on these debts, here's what's likely to happen. We're going to go through all of it today, Elaine, so don't, don't worry, it's nothing too, too bad here. Yeah. You know, if you stop paying on these debts, suddenly you're able to live again. You can afford your rent without worrying about it. You can afford to buy groceries instead of the food bank. But if you, if you keep paying all the interest and all these debts because you don't think there's another way out, you, again, you put yourself further into hardship quite often. And that's the difference between Sands & Associates and let's say Credit Counselor mm-hmm. or the other organizations we've talked about in the past. You guys can actually do something about it. You can say, no, you are protected. This and mm-hmm. this and this can't be touched. Uh, they, the creditors can either walk away if if they if you fall into this category of judgment proof um and and you're back on track yeah, what I'm, what I'm most proud of as part of Sands & Associates is we're beholden to nobody. We're right. independent. We're not funded by creditors. So if you walk into the Credit Counseling Society, for example, a large proportion of their funding comes from creditors. You can bet that their advice is going to be something that's going to result in you paying back that debt to the best of your ability. We're beholden to nobody. I'm an independent officer of the court. My objective is to give you the information so that you can make the decisions. If you decide you want to you know, do whatever you can to pay back the debt, that's great. But I want you to be very clear that if you can't pay it back, here's what's likely to happen. And, l- and let's go through that a bit today, Elaine. Sure, let's do that then. Yeah. So if you owe somebody money in the province of BC and you don't pay them, they can do a few things to you. Okay, They can call you. They can do these harassing, intimidating phone calls. Um, you know, they're not supposed to threaten you, but quite often they do. And they can start at, you know, seven in the morning until about nine at night. Okay. So usually it's those calls that tend to really get people anxious, get them running through the door to see us. Now, most people won't tell you this, most professionals you go to see, but if you come to Sands and Associates, we'll explain to you exactly how BC law protects you and gives you the opportunity to just remove your consent for collection calls. It's literally that simple. Very, very, and that's got to be so reassuring to anyone who's listening who falls into that category because it's it's just an awful situation to be in, right? That hopelessness and feeling like there's no help out there. Uh, In fact, there is. So you're getting called, you know, six times a day. We'll sit down with you. We'll show you. Here's the letter you have to send to your creditors. You send them this letter. You provide them with your address. From there on in, all you're going to get is letters, no further calls, and that's what BC law requires. It's a lot easier to deal with the letter where there's going to be no threats because they have to write everything down as opposed to coming over the phone through you. So I tell people, you know, get the letters, call me if the letters bother you. But at the end of the day, that's usually where it stops. If you send a letter saying, I don't consent to any more phone calls, 
usually that's the end of the story for most people who are judgment proof. Okay. Um, can we, uh, I wanted to ask you about, so how do you, how do you not get into that situation in the first place? Like what are the things that we can do now to protect ourselves from this happening, from being vulnerable to those creditors? Well, I think, you know, a lot of it comes down to having a regular budget each month, you know, really trying not to overextend yourself. You know, in, in many cases, you know, I see someone after a the music has stopped, so to speak, you know, they're already in debt. And, you know, quite often, you know, someone got sick or a relationship broke down or, or something else like that. So, you know, sometimes there's nothing you can do to guard against it. But definitely, the more you can do to have a regular budget, um, to have an emergency fund, each of those things are definitely going to help you. I like, I like some of these things, too, that we've talked about in the past about looking after and protecting your, your assets or your bank account or your checking account, about really protecting that and not giving anyone else access to that. Yeah. So one thing that we say here, you know, one thing is, is to make sure no one else physically has access to, you know, someone that you know. But it's also if you're banking somewhere where you owe money you're giving that person you owe money to access to your bank account implicitly. So if you're going to RBC with your visa and RBC is also your daily banking account, you have made it too easy for RBC to get paid. Because what happens is if you can't pay that bank account, sorry, that visa card, they're going to go and seize your bank account. And they have access to that. And they have access to it. because You probably signed that paper allowing that too, right, at some point. So if someone takes nothing else away from this segment other than you can stop collection calls, the other thing is never bank where you owe money. Because if you bank at any other institution, for them to force you to pay to seize anything from your account, they have to go through, hire a lawyer, take you to court. It's not a criminal matter. You'll never be thrown in jail. Um, But at the end of the day, they have to go through and spend thousands of dollars to collect from you if you've changed your bank to somewhere else. Now, that's so interesting because the banks and all the, you know, credit... uh, um uh, credit unions even will want you to take one of their credit cards. Of course. I've, and I, it, I'm getting a little aha here. Mm-hmm. I had never thought about that before, but I get yeah. asked about that all the time at my credit union. Oh, do you want to take out another Visa card? Mm-hmm. It protects the bank. They have what's called the right of offset. They can offset a debt against an asset under their own umbrella. They can't do that if it's a different bank. So your bank wants you all under one roof for their benefit. For wow. your benefit, keep your debts and your banking separate. And it's pretty and it's pretty easy to do these days, right? Yeah. We have lots of options. Yeah, any chartered bank in Canada, they have to open an account for you. It's not a question of hey, they'll run a credit check and they'll say no, we won't open an account. They absolutely have to. That's Canadian law. Have to do it. Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting too. Uh, anything else you want to add before we close out this segment for those uh, for those folks that have lo- low, low, low incomes? Yeah, I would encourage them to just even have a conversation. If you phone us up, it's free advice. I don't have any problem giving insight if someone's facing and they think they're judgment proof, but they're not quite sure. We can ask a number of questions. We can give you some good advice, send you to the right resources. Even if we can't help, we'll be a very good first step. That's great. Thank you, Blair. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. If you want to get a fresh start, 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.